0: Mm-hmm. Well, good morning. Hope every hope everybody had a wonderful Christmas Day yesterday. It's uh, it's good to be gathered back together. That's for sure. And um, anyway, we want to pick up. Well, actually, we're going to start. We we finished uh, Acts chapter twenty one last week, so we start in Acts chapter twenty two we're going to cover the first 21 verses. So Acts 22, 1 through 21. That's where we're going to be today. Let me read those verses for us. Brethren and fathers, hear my defense before you now. And when they heard that he had spoke to them in Hebrew language, they kept all the more silent. Then he said, I am indeed a Jew, born in Tarsus, of Cilicia, but brought up in this city at the feet of Gamaliel taught according to the strictness of our fathers law and was zealous towards god as you all are today I persecuted this way to the death blinding and delivering into prison into prisons both men and women as also the high priest bears me witness and all the council of the elders from whom i also received letters to the brethren and went I received letters to the brethren, and went to Damascus to bring in chains even those who were there to Jerusalem to be punished. Now it happened, as I journeyed and came near Damascus, at about noon, suddenly a light from heaven shone around me. And I fell to the ground and heard a voice saying to me, Saul, Saul, why are you persecuting me? So I answered, Who are you, Lord? And he said to me, I am Jesus of Nazareth, whom you are persecuting. And those who were with me indeed saw the light, and were afraid. But they did not hear the voice of him who spoke to me. So I said, What shall I do, Lord? And the Lord said to me, Arise and go into Damascus, and there you will be told all things which are appointed for you to do. And since I could not see for the glory of that light, being led by the hand of those who were with me, I came into Damascus. Then a certain Ananias, a devout man according to the law, having a good testimony with all the Jews who dwelt there, came to me, and he stood and said to me, Brother Saul received your sight, and at that same hour I looked up at him. Then he said, The God of our fathers has chosen that you should know his will, and see the just one, and hear the voice of his mouth, for you will be his witness to all men that you are to all men of what you have seen and heard. And now why are you waiting? Arise and be baptized and wash away your sins, calling on the name of the Lord. Now it happened when I returned to Jerusalem, and I was praying in the temple that I was in a trance. And I saw him saying to me, Make haste and get out of Jerusalem quickly, for they will not receive your testimony concerning me. So I said, Lord, they know that in every synagogue I imprisoned and beat those who believed on you. And when the blood of your martyr Stephen was shed, I was standing by consenting to his death and guarding the clothes of those who were killing him. Then he said to me, Depart, for I will send you far from here to the Gentiles. Let's pray together. Heavenly Father, we thank You so much for our time this morning. Father, again, Your Word is here before us, and we hear this testimony, this defense of Paul's ministry and his calling um, from You. And so we just pray that today uh, You will teach us through Your Word, and uh, pray that You will change us uh, because we were here today. In Jesus' name we pray. Amen. <clears throat> well, we've said it before. in um, Our study of Acts that we are told in the book of Acts by Luke three times about Paul's conversion. Three times the account of Paul's conversion is given and detailed for us here at Acts. And it is interesting to note because Acts is a relatively short book. Um, And Luke, we see, will record this incident three separate times. Uh, The first time was reported uh, in the third person by Luke as Luke told the account. Uh, the next two are told by Paul himself, and we have the first one here in today's passage, and the next will be before King Herod Agrippa. Now Luke, we, as we know, we have talked about, it was a historian. Uh, in fact, he was the one uh, of the most accurate historic historian of biblical times, in fact, of all, compared to all other historians. Luke has been found to be the most accurate and in addition to his being accurate, uh, he was also very, very concerned with giving a defense of the authenticity of Paul's calling as an apostle. Uh, as we know, uh, Paul was not in the Saul before he was uh, changed. Name was changed was not in the original twelve. But we know that next to Jesus, uh, Paul was the most important church leader in all of history. Of church history, next to Jesus. Uh, of course, Paul wrote thirteen of the New Testament books, um, and so as far as his importance in church history, he is significant, okay, to say the least. And and Luke here is trying to communicate that, communicate Paul's significance here. Uh, last week, uh, when we finished up chapter uh, twenty-one, we left Paul in the hands of an angry mob. Uh, the Civil uh, government had kind of stepped in and uh, seized him, and we're going to take him into custody. Had bound him with chains, we're lifting him up, and they were taking him over to the barracks. And then you remember, Paul said, Hey, c- can I speak? And he, and he stopped. I, I, and we talked about the importance of uh, the defense and, and the importance of the Christians being able to give a credible defense to what is going on. And, it, and we need to be able to articulate. Uh, A defense for the gospel, but so we left Paul there. And if you remember, as uh, he was, uh, as he stopped and asked if he could speak uh, to the people, then he waved his hand, and there was just a silence. This angry mob of hundreds of people—maybe I I don't know how big the mob was—it was uh, large—but just became silent just by waving his hand. And uh, he spoke to them as he greeted them in the Hebrew language. Which, uh, that in and of itself, was a sign of respect to the people. Now, you would think about it for a minute. Um, this is a mob that wants to kill him. But he's taking the time to show them respect and to, to, to speak to them in the Hebrew uh, language. And one thing we can notice about his, uh, his uh, if you want to call it a sermon or a speech, or his defense He didn't use any fancy academic jargon. We know Paul was learned, okay? A brilliant uh, man. Uh, But he didn't want to sound smarter or more religious than anybody else. He just wanted to communicate very simply and very effectively. And one thing we can notice is that Paul, in his defense, uh, used uh, the same words. He started with the same words that Stephen used many, many years earlier as he was martyred. And we see this in verse uh, verse one, in, 1 through 3. So let me read those together. Uh, together. Uh, verses uh, 1 through 3. Uh, Paul starts, Brethren and fathers, hear my defense before you now. And when they heard that he spoke to them in the Hebrew language, they kept silent all the more. Then he said, I am a Jew, born in Tarsus of Cilicia, but brought up in this city at the feet of Gamaliel, taught, taught according to the strictness of our father's law, and was zealous towards God as you all are today. Notice in, in his opening, first of all, this greeting Bre- Brethren and Fathers. Now, again, put, put try to put yourself in the situation. It's a, a violent, angry mob who's probably already tried to beat you up, was going to kill you had the authorities not stepped in. And he greets them as brothers and fathers. It was a greeting of respect and honor. Okay. Um, It says uh, that they kept all the more silent when they heard him speak in Hebrew. Now, the one note here is that we can assume, remember the charges that they brought, the rumors. Remember, they started the rumors about Paul basically accusing him of of, uh, uh, forsaking his heritage, his Jewish heritage, and, and... going against the law and all these things. And so uh, based on, uh, so I guess they had assumed that based on the rumors uh, that Paul had rejected his heritage. So when they heard him speak Hebrew, okay, that may have given some of them some hope. Wait a minute, you know, if if this fellow really has denied his heritage, then why would he be speaking in Hebrew? maybe there's some hope maybe he hasn't maybe the rumors aren't true so maybe this because that's what Luke said they kept all the more silent so maybe it gave some of them hope um, Paul goes into his he gives his uh, uh, just a very brief summary of his uh, where he was uh, his where he was born and how he grew up and his studies now Gamaliel it was one of the three most respected rabbis Of all, of all history, okay, of all antiquity. And of the three, Gamaliel was the most respected. Okay, he was the best of the best. Okay, so, and, and the people here that were in this mob would have known that. Okay, they would have known who Gamaliel was. And so, Paul, well, this was Paul's way of reminding them, because remember the char, again, think about the charges, okay, think about what's in their mind. They have a problem with Paul. Because he teaches teaches against the law. Uh, he um, is, is trying to destroy the heritage. He's welcoming the Gentiles. He brought somebody into the temple uh, who was a Gentile, which was forbidden. So what Paul is trying, he's reminding them, okay, listen, when it comes to the law, I know the law. Okay, I studied under the best. The best of the best. Uh, one thing about uh, Gamaliel, he had a wonderful reputation, uh, but his reputation, he had a reputation for not only being brilliant, okay, intellectual, very smart, but he was also gentle and kind. He had a, 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 just a, a personality about him. He was known for that, known for his gentleness and his kindness. And uh, many, as we know, if, if you've ever studied under great teachers or if you've been around someone who studied under great teachers, uh, a lot sometimes, students of great teachers can become arrogant. They can become brash um, because they're filled with so much knowledge uh, and, and they feel like they have to impose it upon everyone else. and you know, have all this knowledge. They're the best. Now i gotta, I got to show you everything that I've learned and I, and I try to impose it. But that would have gone against what Gamaliel would have, teached, or would have taught because of his own gentleness and his kindness. But we think about those kind of students and if you've ever met someone like that, well, you know what I'm talking about. Uh, but that does happen. It happens a lot. And Saul was no different. Okay, Saul, as a student of that, okay, before he was saved, um, he learned to love the law. He, le- he learned a, lo- a love of the law. And he was so passionate about it that he was willing to get rid of anyone who opposed it. And so it was more than just teaching the law. It was, hey, if you oppose it, then I'm going I'm I'm to lock you up. I'm going to put you in prison. I mean, it was he was that passionate about uh, the observance of the law. And, um, of course, we know as a young theologian, Saul was committed to eliminating any threat to the law, which, okay, the early members, as he calls the the, the way, is what they were called, the early Christians, this new sect, was, in his eyes, before he was saved, a threat to the purity of Israel. So, again, Paul was determined to do everything he could to destroy this threat. Because again, he was zealous and was passionate for the law, and this was the threat to the law, to the purity of the law. So Paul here reminds him that listen, I learned from the best. Okay, I was zealous for the law. I persecuted the way. I went from house to house. I dragged out men and women. I threw them in prison. Okay, I that was me, is what he's telling everybody. Okay, that was me. That's where I was. And then in verses 6 through 8, Paul tells him, okay, what changed? What happened? It says, now it happened. As I journeyed and came near Damascus at about noon, suddenly a great light from heaven shone around me. And I fell to the ground and heard a voice saying to me, Saul, Saul, why are you persecuting me? So I answered, who are you, Lord? And he said to me, I am Jesus of Nazareth, whom you are persecuting. Now the timeline, as you know, there was there was a timeline. Uh, there was a time lapse between when Jesus was uh, crucified and Paul's conversion. In fact, it was twenty seven years. So Jesus has been gone from the earth for twenty seven years when Paul was converted on the road of a uh, road to Damascus. So Jesus has been raised from the dead. He's ascended in, into heaven. Um, so as far as Jesus, the man, the human being, as he's glorified in heaven, as far as that goes, he's in heaven. So he is well outside the reach of any human being, even Paul, right? So when, why, why does Jesus say, or excuse me, why does, when, when, when Paul asks, uh, who are you? He says, I am Jesus of Nazareth, Nazareth whom you are persecuting. Well, again, Saul couldn't do anything to hurt Jesus personally. But what Jesus was saying is that, Saul, by persecuting my people, you're persecuting me. That's what Jesus was telling Saul. You're persecuting my people. You're persecuting my church, which is what the church is called the body of Christ. Uh, Then that is the same thing as persecuting me. That's what Jesus was saying. Remember what Jesus said in Matthew 25, verse 45. He says, uh, and this was when um, we talk about the judgment and we had, uh, he separated the, the sheep and the goats and and um, Jesus said this, he said, As surely I say to you, in as much as you did it to the least of these, you did, or, excuse me, as you did not do it to the least of these, and you did not do it to me. You remember that interaction when he was talking about uh, visiting me and feeding, feeding the hungry and people were saying, wait a minute, you know, when did I do that to you? And Jesus, remember what Jesus said, you did it to these, you did it to me. Uh, same, on the opposite, on the negative, for those who did not serve Him. And we see that's, that was a uh, pronouncement of a sentence of judgment. But you see the connection. You see the connection to Jesus and His people. If we treat Jesus' people badly, then we're treating Jesus badly. If we're persecuting uh, Jesus' people, then that is a persecution of Jesus Himself. Verse uh, 10 through 11. So I said, What shall I do, Lord? And the Lord said to me, Arise and go into Damascus, and there you will be told all things which are appointed for you to do. And since I could not see for the glory of that light, being led by the hand of those who were with me, I came into Damascus. Now remember this high and mighty Saul, this... um, expert in the law this theologian who is zealous for the law is persecuting um, Christians um, Calvin noted now about his uh, having being led by the hand into Damascus no more riding when we, we talked about this when we, when we hit this back in Acts earlier uh, but instead of coming into Damascus on a mighty horse or, or a steed or something you know in, in his power he gets led by the hand because he can't even see And Calvin commented here, he says, uh, This is the voice of a tamed man. And this is the true turning unto the Lord. When laying away all fierceness and fury, we bow down our necks, willingly to bear his yoke, and are ready to do whatsoever he commands us. A tamed man. This is the voice of a tamed man. One who knows what it really is like to submit to the Lord who's willing to lay away all the all that fierceness and fury and it says to bow down our... And you can, he didn't say stiff necks, but I'll say it. Our stiff necks, willing to do whatever He commands us to do. So again, instead of Saul riding into Damascus on a high horse, he was being led by the hand as one that would rope around in the dark. And of course... Paul telling everyone, he says, "I was led into the home of Ananias." Now, Ananias again. He mentions he mentioned he, he's dropping names here, right? He, he's mentioned Gamaliel for a reason. There's a point why he mentions that, right? Because he would be known to the people. It's the same case with Ananias. He mentions that uh, obviously it happened, but he mentions it here again to make a connection with the people there, because the people there would have known the name Ananias. Uh, they would have been known to the audience here in, uh, in Jerusalem. And then Paul mentions that Ananias, okay, this one whom you respect, he welcomed me into his house and even called me brother. Okay, brother Saul. Again, uh, this would have carried weight with this hostile audience, which that was his intent anyway. Uh, it was to try to, to make a connection here. Um, And then after Saul was in uh, in Ananias' house, he, of course, um, got his sight back. Ananias said, you can see again now. Then immediately Saul's eyes were opened. And we see here in verses, let's continue in verse uh, 14 through 16. He says, then he said, this is Ananias talking to Saul, the God of our fathers has chosen you that you should know his will and see the just one. And hear the voice of his mouth, for you will be his witnesses to all men of what you have seen and heard. And now, why are you waiting? Arise and be baptized and wash away your sins, calling on the name of the Lord. Now, again, we can, uh, as we have studied Saul before he was saved, and now uh, Paul, we can all agree that uh, it is a rare thing. Okay, it's a rare thing for someone who is so opposed to a particular worldview, it's a rare thing for them to just to do a complete 180. Okay, and, and embrace it. It is a rare thing, okay, but we know that it does happen. And I don't know if you've ever met anyone um, who maybe was hostile towards Christianity. You know, not indifferent. That's, that's one thing. It's one thing to be indifferent, just to not care. But it's another thing to be hostile against it, right? And if you've ever met someone that was hostile against Christianity, and and you know maybe maybe you knew maybe there was a maybe you prayed for that person and maybe they were converted and saved and you see a one eighty, I think if you were able to witness that that would be a wonderful thing to see. You know God's work in someone's life, and you know certainly we've seen dramatic testimonies where we've had the wayward son, you know, who's going and doing. Whatever he wants to do, and then you see God completely change him and save him, or her. Uh, but I can't say that I've never, I've ever met someone who was, you know, that hostile. I don't, is anybody else ever? Have you ever had an encounter with someone who was just really hostile towards uh, Christianity, and then see God change him? Has anybody that, that? Okay, I, I don't see. It. Okay, yeah, yeah. I think all of us probably have witnessed some hostile, right? A little bit. But never, the Lord hasn't given me the opportunity to see a a conversion, you know. But uh, what we know is it it is a rare thing, okay? It does happen, okay? It does happen. And usually it takes some dramatic uh, experience to cause the change. Um, And, of course, we see extremely, a supernatural, okay, experience here in the life of Saul that God used, uh, the Lord Jesus used to change him, here on the road. Um, Ananias what, told Saul. That he had been chosen by God. To know his will. That's what he, um, that's what he said. And then before he, before he said that. Ananias said the God of our fathers. Has chosen you. Now. In calling. And using these. Again you got to put, put yourself back in, in Paul's. He's giving a defense. Okay before an angry mob. So he's choosing his words carefully. He's trying to make a connection with this people who want to kill him. And so when he says. The God of the fathers. Paul is connecting. The the God of Abraham. The Old Testament. Okay. That, 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 the, and the, the law. He's making the point. That listen. That God hasn't changed. Okay. Uh, Jesus has come into the world. And certainly. Think, there are some amazing things that have changed. But it's the same God. And Paul is trying to make that connection for them. Listen. You and I, we're serving the same God. Okay, you're on one side of this and you're looking at this through the eyes of a devout Jew who denies Christ was the Messiah. I'm looking at it from Christ is the Messiah and called me and it's the same God. And now it's time, the new covenant is here and it's time to make a change here. Uh, but so that's, that's Paul is trying to, to use those words to connect to say, listen, it's, it's the, that same God. Paul saying that same God that you are so zealous of is the one who called me. Is the one who wants me to know his will and to, uh, to preach and to teach about the just one. So that's the you know, reason for using these, these, these words here. Um, notice, notice here that Luke is very careful to detail the circumstances surrounding Saul's call to be an apostle. In, we know if you studied, if you're good students of the Old Testament, that uh, we do have accounts that there were, there were many who uh, went out as uh, would be called prophets who had not been sent. They were not sent by God to be prophets. And we know that to be a true prophet, true prophet that the one had to be called directly by God and anointed by his spirit to be an agent of divine revelation. This was all God. In other words, a man just can't choose to be a prophet on his own. Okay, It was definitely a calling uh, directly uh, by God. And we see uh, the calling to be an apostle. We know we've, we've gone over the qualifications of an apostle. You had to be a disciple of Jesus. You had to be eyewitness of His resurrection. And you had to be called by Him. Now, this... This record of Paul being called by God as an apostle is a yet another um, time where Luke is putting this before us uh, and his audience. He's recording this for us because, again, he was not among the original twelve. Um, but he did have uh, the most important credential of all, anyone that could have, and that was what? He was directly called by God himself, by Jesus. He was directly called by Jesus himself into ministry. And acknowledging that here when he's with Ananias, that's, that's what Ananias was confirming. Ananias was confirming for him, hey, you, listen, God has called you because he revealed it through the Spirit to Ananias. Know what Saul, hey, Saul's coming here and, and this is why I have called him to know, his, to, to know my will and to be my apostle, be my, my teacher in this world. So Ananias is confirming that, this call as an apostle. Now again, Luke's recording that for our benefit, again, well, we've already, the reasons we've already said. Uh, he wanted to make sure that the world knew that Paul was a true apostle. Now, if you look back, um, he uses some, uh, some titles here. Uh, he, he talks about the just one. Uh, if you look back in Peter's uh, sermon in Acts 3, and then again in Stephen's speech in Acts 7... Uh, you will see that the promised Messiah was given some titles. He was given several uh, titles. Uh, he is at one place called the Holy One of Israel. Another place he's called uh, of the Righteous One. And so as Paul recounts his meeting with Ananias, uh, Ananias says he has that God has chosen him to preach and to teach the words of the Righteous One. So... Again, making this connection, Paul's trying to make these connections. The Messiah, this Jesus whom you killed, he was the Messiah, he was the righteous one, or is the righteous one, I should say. He still is. Um, and so this one whom the Jews killed, this one whom uh, Stephen bore witness to, who you, uh, who, uh, who you stoned, this one was the Messiah, the righteous one of Israel. So Paul's just trying to make these connections for uh, the people here, this mob, and trying to to connect the dots so they can see what's going on here and not necessarily believe any rumors that they have heard. Uh, Verse 17, it says, Now it happened when I returned to Jerusalem and was praying in the temple that I was in a trance. The word he uses here is trance. So let's look at that just for a minute. Uh, The Greek word for trance here is where we get our word ecstasy. I can't even say it. Ecstasy. Thank you. Got tongue-tied last week on Cilicia. Now I can't say ecstasy. Still can't say it. Ecstasy. So the Greek word for trance is where we get our word ecstasy. The Latin, in fact, is translated this way. A mental stupor. So, Okay. What exactly is Paul saying here? Well, well, we need to admit, uh, you know, for a moment here, that there is a mystical element, okay, with um, that that uh, is present here. We really, okay. Really under exact, what was really going on? Well, we can't 100% be sure. Okay, what was really happening. But we know that, uh, that he had, uh, an experience with, uh, with the Lord and with, uh, the Holy Spirit. But we know that this, of course, this is not the only time, this kind of mystical element. It's not the only time, uh, that this could be seen in the life of Paul. So God was communicating with Paul in special ways. Okay, we have to just admit that. And, uh, some of it uh, we're just not going to understand. That's okay. Um, where did we see this has happened in other places right remember uh, a couple of times we talked about it uh, we in in this our own study in Acts remember Peter's own vision remember when he was at Cornelius' house remember he saw the sheep coming down he was in a vision he was in the spirit and he saw a sheep coming down remember he was talking about the things that uh, used to be unclean and how how, um, they're now clean and he was referring to he was trying to tell Peter that it's okay for the Gentiles to come into, uh, to the kingdom, if you remember that. Uh, we see another experience like this detailed for us, um, when, uh, because John tells us when he writes uh, Revelation, or uh, in the first chapter of Revelation, he says, I was in the spirit on the Lord's day. And then these things were revealed to him. Now, how, now can we really explain what was 100% going on? When John said, "I was in the spirit on the Lord's day, no, we really can't explain that, right? Um, we can't really explain what kind of trance Paul was in when he was in uh, the temple. and that's okay that we can't explain it. Okay, we're talking about a God here who does supernatural things that uh, we will not always be able uh, to understand. But what the point Paul is trying to make is that he had been praying. And the Lord moved him into this experience, okay? And in that experience, Paul had seen and heard him again. Jesus was speaking to Paul again. And this is after the road on Damascus. And we see a similarity between the call of Paul and the call of an Old Testament prophet, Isaiah, when he was in the temple. And if you remember that, in Isaiah's vision, you remember the Lord said to him, Whom shall I send and who will go for us? You remember that question. What did Isaiah say? Here am I, Lord. Send me. God, you remember that call on Isaiah's life. I mean, if, if if you ever had to imagine, you know, God God calling on your life, this was not be the call you would imagine, right? The call that God gave to Isaiah. That is not the one that you would ask for yourself. If you could decide that for yourself, right? You would never ask for that kind of call because you remember the call. God told him to preach to a people even though they're not even going to hear him. They're not even going to listen to you, Isaiah. And you remember, uh, remember uh, Isaiah said, well, how long, Lord? How long is this going to happen? What God told him to preach until the cities are laid waste and the houses are without a man and the land is utterly desolate. Man. Really, Lord? That's what you want me to do. And that was really what the Lord wanted him to do. That was that was God's calling on his life. Isaiah was told uh, to do. Basically, God was saying, "You do what I tell you to do, and then you let me worry about who's going to respond." Basically, is what God was saying. Listen, I am I am uh, sending you uh, to stay and to speak to Israel. Okay, you let God was if this is if I could speak. Uh, it's God's way of saying, you do what I tell you to do, you leave the results to me. You be obedient. I'm calling you as a prophet. You're going to go preach, even though no one's going to listen. You leave the results to me because I am the one who is at work here. Now, again, that's a wonderful. We could spend a lot of time talking about that, right? But we're not going down that rabbit trail today. Uh, but Isaiah was told to to stay and to speak in Israel. That was his uh assignment. It was missionary assignment from God. Well, that's the exact, okay, even though the calling and the way it happened and the way God spoke to to Isaiah was similar to the way God spoke to Paul, Paul's assignment was the opposite of Isaiah's. Paul was told, he's got to leave here. I've got to go. I'm going to send you to the Gentiles. And we see here, this is, so again, this is, Paul talking about his experience in the temple when he, was, when, when he was in a trance. And we see it in verses 18 through 21. This is, um, this is uh, the Lord talking to uh, Paul. He says, Make haste and get out of Jerusalem quickly, for they will not receive your testimony concerning me. So I said, Lord, they know that in every synagogue I imprisoned and beat those who believe on you. And when the blood of your martyr Stephen was shed, I was also standing by consenting to his death and guarding the clothes of those who were killing him. Then he said to me, depart, for I will send you far from here to the Gentiles. So we see a different assignment. We see a similar way that God um, interacted with Paul, very similar to the way he called Isaiah, but with two different assignments, two different missionary assignments. And as soon as, and and of course, as soon as God told him that, as soon as the Lord told him, I'm going to send you to the Gentiles, he did that. He did obey. He departed. uh, And of course, as we've studied his three missionary journeys, he's traveled to Gentile lands. He did exactly what the Lord was telling him to do. And now he finds himself back in. Jerusalem where, I don't say it all started, but kind of where it all started, right? He's back here. He has been obedient to God's calling on his life. Calvin had a um, wonderful comment here referring to uh, the obedience of Paul. Uh, he said, but it, but, it mut, but it was met that the holy servant of the Lord should be thus humbled That all preachers of the gospel might learn to give over themselves wholly to obey Christ, that when they be excluded from one place, they may be ready immediately to go to another, and that they may not be discouraged nor cease all from doing their duty, though though they may be undeservedly loathed. Wow, that's a hard word, isn't it? That's a hard word, especially if you're called to preach, right? That's a hard word. Calvin and, and, and again we, we've been studying Paul's journeys okay Paul lived this Paul lived this didn't he he went into places that ready they were ready to, to kill him and to not hear him and what and again what Calvin was saying the same thing that that Paul would agree you got to be ready to go on to the next place and don't be discouraged because again, The same message that God was trying to tell Isaiah, listen, I'm the one doing the work. You have to go speak. These are the people you have to go speak to. You leave everything else to me. You just obey. You go speak. You go preach. You go give my words to the people. I'm the one that's at work. And it's the same thing we see with God's calling on Paul's life. We see, again, we've, we've spent many weeks and months looking at his missionary journeys and the way God has been working in and through every circumstance. And Paul was obedient. Paul was obedient. Even when it was didn't look good. I don't think this is the right you know, It doesn't look like the smart thing to do. He was obedient and he was there. And we see all these things that have happened uh, to him. But we have that encouragement. Calvin's echoing that. That he says, the preachers of the gospel must learn to give themselves holy obey Christ, wherever the calling is, wherever if people don't hear, if people don't come, preachers still have to preach. They pre- because who's, who's, who's doing the real work behind this? God's doing the real work? He is the one who is in charge. And he's just asking, excuse me, he's commanding us to be obedient. Be obedient. Now we got to this point, when, when, so Paul's making his defense, he gets to this point, then he said, this last, uh, last words of verse 21, he says, then he said to me, depart, for I will send you far from here to the Gentiles. As soon as he said, the Gentiles, that was enough. The crowd had heard enough. They they probably were following along with him here pretty good. Okay, I'm, I'm hearing what you're saying. But as soon as Paul says that the Lord was sending me to give the gospel to the Gentiles, they had heard too much. They still, because of the hardness of their heart, they have rejected the fact that the Gentiles can now be a part of the kingdom of God. And they considered Gentiles coming into the kingdom, into the family of God, as blasphemy. Okay, so this was, they they had not... They cannot reject that. They cannot accept that, excuse me, at this point. That's too much. Now, Paul's defense, as we have seen here, if it converted anyone, it was maybe only a few. Um, we don't know. We don't have record, right, of what had happened here. Um, but he, uh, Luke, as he de- details this for us, he likens the response of the crowd uh, with the crowd that was there with Stephen all those years earlier. Um, and um, Luke's recording this. This is Paul's words. But he's but Paul talks about here in these last couple of verses. Remember, Paul's kind of reminding the Lord, remember, Lord, I was there when we stoned Stephen. I consented to his death. Um, and we see a, a similarity because... We, Paul, excuse me. Stephen was there giving his defense. You know, the people did not want to hear Stephen, and we see that standing ovation that Stephen got in heaven by the Lord Jesus standing in heaven, and he welcomed him home. In other words, the the, the words of Stephen didn't change the mind of the crowd, and the words of Paul here probably really didn't change the mind of the crowd here. This mob, It really didn't change them. And, it, you know, if, you looked at, if, if we looked at this as uh, strictly just through human eyes, and we just forgot about what we just said about God being the one at work, it, this would look like, well, man, this is coming to a, this is a pretty bad ending for old Paul. You know, this, this is not good. He's unsuccessful. He could not win over his defense. He couldn't convince the mob. You know, if you were watching it on TV or something, and this was some, uh, you know, primetime sitcom, and you would say, man, or drama, man, too bad for Paul. You know, he just kind of missed out. But we know that's not the case here. We know that is not the case. Because, again, of who's doing the real work. Paul has been obedient. Paul knew what was waiting for him in Jerusalem. He went anyway, because the Spirit was telling him, you got to go. But the Spirit was also telling him, I'm going to be with you. And the Lord Jesus was also saying, I'm going to be with you. Through the middle of this, and I've got a plan, Paul. You just be obedient. My plan, okay, God's plans will not be thwarted. His mission, even though it looks like in earthly terms, okay, the mission's over, is that true? Absolutely not. The mission of Paul is still going on today. Why? Because the gospel is still going forth, isn't it? The gospel is still going forth. No matter How bad it looks, okay. The testimony of Paul, okay, the gospel, the message to the Gentiles, it reaches every corner of the world today because God chose him to speak, chose him to speak as an apostle to the Gentiles. And that message is still happening today. This mob here would have done very well. To listen to Paul. And listen to his message. This gospel. This good news of salvation to a lost world. They would have done well. But they did not. And the world today. Would do well to listen to the gospel. This gospel message of repentance and salvation. To all the world. Jew and Gentile. The world would do very well to listen to Paul again today. Our our time is out. So let me pray for us. Heavenly Father, we thank you for um, our morning this, uh, this, this morning. Thank you for our time. Father, your word is such an encouragement. Father, as we just observe and we watch, and we give praise to you, Father, because you are the one at work. The Lord Jesus' his hand is in all of this. Father, and we just ask now that you would uh, give us all courage to be obedient. May we be strengthened by the testimony of Paul. Father, that we may be encouraged to to go and do what you've called us to do. Father, not worrying about uh, the results, but leaving those to you. Father, Just uh, we pray that you will give us the strength to be obedient to your word. In Jesus' name we pray. Amen.